hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. It's lovely to be here. And, um, uh, well, there's, kinda, there's lots I could say, really. It's taken me 35 years to visit this church, maybe longer than that. Uh, but I know some of you have been here a long time. And uh, so I, I used to be in a church in Keithley, which is, the, is it still called Airedale? Uh, All Nations Church. It's called All yeah. The old churches change their names, don't they? Because you were City Church and then you were something else. And so many names have you guys had? Great. Have you? Oh, there we are. Okay. So, yeah, so I, so I used to be friends with a guy called Mike Rimmer. Do you remember Mike Rimmer? Oh, yeah. so, oh there we are. Yeah. So, so way back. So Mike and I were youth together way back in the, in the 80s. And uh, so I came across to Leeds with the, sort of the Bradford guys and, and sort of the, the, the network of churches we were part of at that time, way back when. You know, you're looking incredulous that I was ever a youth, aren't you? You can just see him, you know. So I'm just looking at the toughest guy in the room there. It's minus three and he's got his shorts on. So, uh, um, so yeah, so we, we go back quite a long way. And then, of course, there's lots of different connections that are in the room. Of, uh, you know, in fact, the, the church, I, I, we moved, my wife and I moved up from South Wales uh, in 2004-2005 to lead the church in York which uh, some of you remember Dick Sims was over there involved in planting that church and I'm still, still friends with, with Dick, I don't see him very often but, so I led that church for seven years and then in end of 2011-2012 went down to Wakefield to take on again what was City Church down there uh, popular name City Church back in the, in the day and um, been, in, been in that area now uh, since then and uh, last year, well, I suppose a couple of years ago, Karen and I just felt we needed to go and plant something in the city. Because it's interesting, there's so many cities you go to in York where I was, and uh, you're tripping over good churches. Mm-hmm. Wakefield, oh, there's, a, there's a big field there. Um, you know, there's a few good spirit-filled churches in the, the city, but certainly not enough to reach the community. So Karen and I um, had an area of Wakefield called Agbrig, which is in the south of Wakefield. And uh, Wakefield's not got a big ethnic population because we don't have a university. And, but this is where they all live. So there's two mosques on our doorstep. There's a lot of Lithuanians and Poles. Um, right opposite the house that we've bought is where the main drug dealing takes place. So apparently in one corner of the park is where we can get our weed and then we can buy our heroin just over the other side. And um, so that's where we park our car. So I didn't know that when I moved in, but um, the guy who came to do the plaster in our house is a a user of of these products. And uh, he said, oh, this is where I come for my drugs. I said, oh, that's marvellous. And um, so in fact, one evening, because usually between five and seven is when the cars are lined up by the park and you can see people going from car to car. And one evening I came, parked my car and uh, I must have been on, I was on the phone or something, I was texting or something, but I sat in the car for too long. And, um, and this little guy came over and knocked the door and, and offered to, you know, I said, no, sir, no, I'm not really uh, into that. So, so on he went in his way. So that's what we've moved into. And, uh, you know, one of my, we, we've, we've spent the last four months buying a house that needed a total renovation. And so we've had skips outside and rubbish and all sorts of things going on. So people are interested in what you're doing. And, um, you know, this couple walked past one day as I was standing outside trying to get a break from the dust. And, um, and he, he said, uh, you just moved in? I said, yes. And he said, um, he said, why have you moved here? I said, God sent me. God sent you? He said, well, it must be God. He said, everyone else wants to leave. And you're moving in. <laughs> but we genuinely feel delighted and thrilled to be where we are. 
Because when you're in the centre of God's plan, there's just a great sense of peace about being there. We really are thrilled to be there. And um, so we started reaching out into a community. And um, one of the things we did, again, when, you've just, when you're new to an area, you've got a great chance to make a first impression. So my neighbour two doors up, who's called Naveed, an Asian gentleman, drives a taxi, and uh, he and I got chatting, and they've got a little WhatsApp group for the community. So when we got our house in a fit state, we put a message on the WhatsApp group a few weeks ago. We had an open house on a Saturday, and we had 24 of our neighbours all came in, and uh, we just had a great time. So here's the thing. We want to see kingdom increase. There's, you know... A lot of times churches start and what happens is Christians move from church to church to church to church and they think, oh, the church is growing. But the kingdom's not growing. All it is is, is Christians migrating, offended in one place, move to the next place or, you know, whatever reason and move around. But we're really excited about seeing kingdom growth. So for us, for Karen and I, it's great to be here this morning in this huge church. When there's only six of you in the living room, this feels huge to us. So it's just lovely to worship with you today. And um, where's the girl gone who was singing? Elsie. Elsie, you've got a fantastic voice. What a voice. You know, I thought, is it Whitney? Is it Adele? I looked around and, and I thought, I don't know this girl. What a good, I mean, Mark was okay, but you were, you were really good. You've got a great voice. Yeah, I mean, I like singers. I am a singer. My daughters are singers. So I know a good singer when I hear one. So that's a great, that's a gift. That is a real gift you've got there. And uh, praise God you're using it for, for a great purpose. Um, I should open the Bible, shouldn't I? I'd said to, sorry, what was your name again? I said to Sarah, what time did your meeting finish? She said, oh, when we finished. I thought, that's great. <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear, really, you know. So uh, anyway, well, should we look at a scripture together or two? I've, I want, I'd like to encourage you this morning. I've been encouraged already. The worship was great. It was lovely to worship with you and, and um, great to hear your prayers. And um, uh, I want to encourage you as well. We used to be in a church, Karen and I, years ago. I won't tell you where or who because you might know people. But when we used to leave on a Sunday morning and we would drive... I wasn't leading it, by the way. just want to make that clear. When we were driving home on a Sunday morning, we used to say... I used to turn to Karen beside me and I'd say, Thank God. It's six days and 22 hours before I have to go back there again. <laughs> I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know, you know when you, that's how we used to feel. You know, we, used to, we used to arrive fairly happy. We'd always have our, our tapes on, the tapes in the car, singing happy songs. And by the end of the meeting, we were generally depressed. So when I was given the opportunity, it's okay, Kathy, you know, look at me sad at me. I said, so I decided, this is what my mantra, when I got the opportunity to lead a church myself, I said this to, we said this to each other, we would like it if people, when they leave, they are happier than when they came in. And not just because they're leaving, but they are actually happier, they feel encouraged. So we've always had this thing, people should be encouraged when they come to church. Because if you've had a hard week and you've been through some stuff, you don't want to come to a meeting and be depressed again, do you? You would like to go up, you'd like to leave today, hopefully feel encouraged, envisioned, a bit more faith and ready to go out and face the challenges that we've all got to face. That's what the church should do. When we come together, it should be a place of encouragement and strengthening and building one another up. And, and it here's another thing, it shouldn't only come from the front. Every one of us should come with something. 
you know, something that we can encourage one another, uh, another with. So, so, you know, I know that you would do that anyway, but I just want to encourage you, do that. You know, you know spiritual gifts are not just for, you know, the people that stand at the front. Spiritual gifts are for all of us yeah. to build one another up. We should leave encouraged. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, good stuff. Smile at me, please. No, you. Are you okay? Are you happy to be here? My goodness me. Have you really? Well, does, anybody, does anybody know the, the Finneys from uh, Wakefield? David Mandy Finney. Remember the Finneys? You know, Mandy Finney. She's a lovely lady and I know that she likes me, but you would never tell from the way she looks at me when I'm preaching. You know, and I would say to Mandy at the end, did you enjoy that? Oh, yes, yes, very good. I was just getting that vibe and I'm really sorry. So, but, yeah. so uh, what's your name? Nick, nice to meet you, Nick. Nice to meet you. So, anyway, should we look at our Bibles then? So, did I say that already? Genesis chapter 12. Or Ge- we'll go Genesis chapter 11. We'll start there. We'll start there. I'm going to read from my... Uh, I'm using the Holman translation in the Bible, which some of you may have or some of you may never have heard of. But this is what I felt this, when I was just praying this morning. This is really what I felt God had put in my heart for you today. Um, and it's a story ab- about Abraham. And... Um, I'm going to go from uh, chapter 11, I'm going to go from the end of chapter 11, verse 31. It says, Terah took his son Abraham, or Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, there's probably a bit of a gap here between chapter 11 and chapter 12, of a few years at least. But this is the, verse 1 of chapter 12 said this, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And I, I love this story. I've been, I've been just meditating this story for a long, long time because it's, it's one that's really spoken to me over the years. But here's the thing. Abraham in the scripture is referred to as the father of the faithful. And, um, and if you go into uh, places like um, Galatians chapter 3, it says that because we are in Christ, we are, if you like, descendants of Abraham. We've come into that family. And therefore, he's a father to us all. Is that okay so far? So, Abraham is a great example of people who live by faith. And people who live by faith are on a journey. And all of us are on a journey, a, a faith journey together. Some of us have been on the journey for, for a lot longer than others, but all of us are on a journey together. And uh, Abraham, initially, it's interesting this story, it doesn't tell us who God spoke to, but it looks as if it was this whole journey, this, this start of the journey was instigated by Abraham's father, Terah, and he set off. And he told the family who was with him, Abraham and his wife and everyone else, he said, we're going to a place called Canaan. Now, it's unlikely they'd ever visited there before. Maybe they'd heard of it. Maybe God had told them to go. It doesn't say. But they were setting off on a journey. And if, you know, if you've got maps in the back of your Bible, you can actually see the little route of the journey. I was brought up in church. 
And so I had to listen to a lot of boring sermons. So I used to love the maps at the back. I used to like looking at the maps and found it all very interesting. But basically, um, where they stopped in Haran is kind of halfway in the journey. So they start off in Ur, which is sort of uh, well, Babylon, which would be Iraq and that sort of area. And they set off going in sort of a, a north uh, westerly sort of uh, direction and then they got to this place called Haran and then they stopped. They never moved from there for quite a long time. And Haran, the place name itself, it means dry or parched. And um, in, the, in the Akkadian language, the sort of old Aramaic, it means road. It was a dry road. And that's the place where they stopped. Now, again, you're thinking, well, why would they stop there? Who knows? It doesn't tell us, the Bible doesn't tell us why they stopped there, but it just says they settled. They decided to settle in a place, but it wasn't the ultimate destination of where they were meant to be going. They were going somewhere else. But God's plans were not thwarted, even though terror stopped halfway on the journey. God had a plan that through Abram, he was going to fulfill his purposes for the whole earth. That's what it says here. It says here in verse 3, it says, All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And when God has a plan and he sets us out on a journey, he's determined that his plan is going to be fulfilled. All we have to do is keep on moving forward to the destination that he has for us. Is that okay? You agree with that? And so Abraham had set off on this, this journey after his father had stopped it doesn't even say that he left before his father died. Terror obviously stayed on there because the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What does it mean? His, his, his land, his relatives and his father's house is the place of security and safety and being settled. You know, there will come a point for you young people at the moment, it's really nice because your mum does all your washing and she makes your dinners. But there'll come a point in your life, hopefully, when you leave. <laughs> your parents will breathe a sigh of relief and you'll have to do your own washing and you'll have to pay your own bills. My daughters went to university a few years ago and um, in the first year of university, my eldest daughter, she would ring me up and um, she'd want me basically to make every decision for her. But there was one day she was ringing up about a decision. She needed to go and find new accommodation after the student accommodation. And I just said to her, love, you can make this decision yourself. You don't need me. But dad, no, no. You know what to do. You understand what to do. You choose. You can do it. So basically she was in her little group of girls were looking for some student accommodation. She basically had to take the lead and she had to go find a house and then do all the things that you need to do, the security bonds and all the form filling out and all the, the vetting and everything else. But when she'd done it, she had felt this great sense of achievement. And we were proud of her because it's a step, isn't it? It's a step onto maturity. Abraham was staying with his father. He's staying with the family. He was staying in a place where it was easy, where life was easy, where everything was kind of provided there for him. But God said, you need to go on to the land that I'm going to show you, to the place that I've got for you. So it says, again, we don't know what the gap was, but it just says, so Abraham went. When God speaks to us, sometimes there's a bit of a gap, isn't there? Um, 
It's almost like God's going to poke us with a bit of a stick. But eventually, we go. It's good to go. It's good to go on the journey. So he says, Abraham went. And it's in, in this instance, in verse 2 here, it says, to a land that I will show you. In other words, he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know what it looked like. God had to put something in his heart. And the way that God spoke to Abraham throughout his life was like this. When God promised him a child to fulfill this great, great promise, he says, I want you to go outside at night, obviously, and look at all the stars in the sky. And he said, that's what your family is going to look like. That's what he said to a childless couple. He had to put a picture in his heart of what this looked like. He had to put a picture within him of what he was going to be moving towards. And that's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us by giving us a vision of what is drawing us forward. I don't know about you, but I've got a vision. I've got a vision. I've got some things in my own heart that God has said to me and God has shown me. But this is, I want to just, if I could, at this instance, just give you a little bit of a testimony. I mean, I've said to you already, I've been around for a while. Um, my dad was a Pentecostal pastor in the Assemblies of God Church up in Glasgow. And uh, we, I was brought up as a Pentecostal. And uh, that meant a church on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. You know, people wondered why I never joined anything like the Boy Scouts or, you know, the Boys Brigade or played football. I was always in church. I was literally was brought up in church. And um, so we were in this, uh, this pioneer church because my dad was a pioneer as well. He'd, he'd been in a big church in Glasgow. They'd gone out to a place called East Cobride in the south of Glasgow to pioneer a church. And he worked away very, very hard. He's a good evangelist, my dad. He worked away very hard for a number of years. And it was hard, hard work. And I remember on a, a one particular Sunday morning, we had a little mission hut out in East Cobride. I don't know if you remember those. It was literally, the, the church was a hut, like a big wooden hut. And um, my, it, was a, it was a snowy day. And in Glasgow, we get proper snow. Not that you, 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 know, you know, up there. Well, so where we live, because it's in the hills south of Glasgow, real big snow. But because in those days, there was no WhatsApp groups and all that kind of stuff, my dad, as the pastor, needed to turn up just in case anybody did. And so, so my mum stayed in at home with my sister and my dad and I got in the car and we made our way to the, the mission hut and we were there, the two of us. My dad went through his usual thing, filling the water jug. My dad played the guitar as well and he was everything. And I think I'd, I must have been seven, eight years old at the time and I remember it so clearly. Nobody came. And so we started at 10.30 and, and at, at 10.45 um, my dad said, well, what do you want to do? He said to me, what do you want to do? I said, well, Dad, we're here. Let's, why don't we have a meeting? Let's do church anyway. So, uh, so my dad did it. He went, okay. And um, he, he started to um, play his guitar and we started to sing with his congregation of one, me. That day, I'll never forget it. I saw a figure standing by my dad that I know was Jesus. I saw it. And my dad said to me, my dad said, my dad stopped. He said, what's the matter? He said, you look as if you've seen a ghost. And I, could, I saw the Lord. He was there. He was with us. Do you know, it doesn't matter how small you are. He's here. He promised. Sometimes we think three is the minimum, but the Bible says we're two or three. So my dad and I were two, but Jesus was there. He was there with us. But my dad, that's not the point of the story. My dad plowed along for years. 
And then he looked in the, in the scriptures and he started to see that what he was building was not what God wanted. He saw that there was a church that had apostles and prophets and foundations. He started to see things about the kingdom of God. He started to see, because in the church that we grew up in, you know, in the Pentecostal circle, if you've ever been a Pentecostal, Pentecostals love to sing songs about heaven. Because that's all they've got to look forward to. Because in Pentecostal, in our eyes anyway, we've got to just kind of keep on going as, as, you know, as long as we can until Jesus comes and rescues us. That was, the kind of, that was our view. So therefore, we're, you know, we're always singing about crossing over the Jordan and when we're going to get to heaven and when we're going home and, and all these kind of things. That was kind of the view. But my dad started to see in the scriptures a victorious church, a victorious bride. He saw scriptures in the Old Testament where it said things like, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established as chief of the mountains. And the world is going to come and look at this glorious church and they're going to say, teach us your ways. That's what he saw in the scripture. And there's so many other scriptures you can see in the Old Testament that talks about this glorious bride, this glorious church, this thing that we're moving towards. So he started to see these things in Scripture, and then he, then he started to meet other men that were seeing the same things. Other communities. And back in those days, my dad met a man called Bryn Jones, and he met a man called Arthur Wallace, and he met a man called Ern Baxter, and he met you know, other men like this that were seeing these things. And in 1978, <laughs> way in the last century, we got in a, a car, and we drove to Harrogate and we went to a Bible week and we came amongst people that were seeing the same things that we were seeing. I was 11 years old and I remember it so well in a big, a big shed in a, in a, in a, a, a campsite, it wasn't even a campsite, is it? The, the thing in Harrogate. It's an agricultural site. A big smelly shed that smelled of cows. And as a Glaswegian, I'd never seen a cow, never even smelled a cow, you know, we had seen them in books before. We go in this big shed, and I'll never forget it, 11 years old, I'm standing in a meeting. Well, here's the thing, I wasn't supposed to be in the meeting, but I never liked the kids' work very much. So my parents had gone on, and I went in another door, I managed to get past the stewards and get in. And I was standing amongst people that I did not know, worshipping the Lord just as we were this morning, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke in tongues. Nobody prayed for me, nobody told me, nobody laid a hand on me, but the presence of God was real. And for the next X number of years, we were part of something where the vision was this. We're going to take this land for Jesus. That's what we believed. And all over the country, particularly all over the UK, we moved into England in 1980 to be part of something where we had a vision that we were going to see the nation changed for Jesus. Well, do you know what? It didn't work out as we planned. I think we stopped at Harren, personally. I think we stopped on the way. I think we started to go, well, maybe not go in a direction, we just stopped moving forward. And, um, and I found that lots of the people that I had been with growing up, lots of the people that I knew kind of fell away and I didn't see them anymore. And then I found myself, as the years went by, 
in something that did not look like what I had originally seen. It didn't look like the things that my dad had told me about. It didn't look like that anymore. I want to take you to another scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And um, it continues, this is continuing the story of Abraham. Are you guys okay so far? Okay. So Hebrews, let's see, I think I my Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. It's interesting, Hebrews, because this gives us more light, more revelation on the story of Abraham. And um, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then down to verse 13 it says, These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been remembering the land they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If you follow that theme of the city through scripture, but in the end of Revelation, John writes and he talks about this city coming down from heaven. He talks about this glorious city. Do you know that city is the church of God? I believe that. The city is the church of God. God is building something beautiful. He's building a beautiful church. He's building a beautiful bride. And that you and I are spiritual people and we live in two realms. We don't just live on earth. We're people who also live in the heavenly realm as well. And when Jesus told us to pray, he said this, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. The church is the place where heavenly reality is meant to touch the earth. That's what I believe. And I've seen this beautiful church. And this is the thing for me, this is the reason why I'm here. I don't mean here in Leeds today, but this is the reason why we are still walking when so many of our friends gave up disappointed. We're still walking when so many of our friends decided to settle for something that was less than what they'd originally seen. I was, I've got a, a very old friend of mine that goes back to the days in Bradford and uh, he was my best pal when we were growing up. We're still good friends together. We're not in the same church and he lives in a different part of the country now but he's been in a number of churches over the years, he and his wife, looking for something that looks like what he's seen. And he's been consistently disappointed. And uh, he and I, every year, we, 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 we always go to a gig. We like, we like going to see bands together. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we were sat together over in Manchester, waiting to see a band. And, and I'd never seen him so down. He was really, really down. And, um, and I said, what's the matter? He said, and he was telling me about his own situation. He said, he said, has God not got a plan B? Is this it? Is this it? You know, he, he just was so despondent because he'd been consistently let down and consistently disappointed because he's seen something beyond. Now I want to say to you today, 
You might look at me and think, well, he's a bit idealistic. You know, he's a bit of a dreamer. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. When I read that verse in Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners. This is what I believe. I don't think there'll be a perfect church until Jesus returns. I just want to say that to you. But at least I'm going to be moving towards it. At least I'm going to be greeting it from a distance. At least I'm going to be trying to build something that looks like what I see here. That's what, that's what matters to me. I'm not satisfied with shallow relationships. Because I see in the scripture a church that is devoted to one another. Where they shared together with one another. Where they cared for one another. I'm not satisfied to be in a church which is powerless. If people are going to encounter heaven, they should encounter miracles. We should see healings and deliverances. And praise God, I just keep laying hands on sick people and I see people healed. Not every time, but I just keep on doing it. Because when people come to the church, they should encounter God. Not just a fuzzy feeling, but the reality of the living Saviour. I want to see that. I want to see a church that actually has the answers. You look at the world today, and, and you know, I don't have to go into it, but you look at the marriage, even in the last 40 years. The, the world has changed even the definition of what it means. Families breaking up. You know, like people without any hope at all. You know, before I was in, in ministry, I used to be a police officer. I served in uh, Warwickshire, and then I served in South Wales. And um, 90% at least of the delinquent boys that I dealt with, there was no father present. 90% at least. You know, that was my experience. So many young, young boys today, particularly young boys, are, are going through life aimless because they've never had a father to teach them how to live. But there are fathers here. There are mothers here. There are happily married couples here. There are grandparents here. There are people with years of wisdom who've lived their lives by God's standard that can show the world how to live. When, when we had our, our, we called our church Resurrection Church. And there, there's a number of reasons why we called that, but we had a particular prophetic word. This is a, probably three years ago. And where there's a lady called Rachel Gardner, if you heard of her, she's, she's a Christian writer, and she prophesied and she said this. She said, I see a picture of you. Um, she said, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, the people around, he said to the people around, take the grave clothes off them. He said, and so he said, see, this is what God has called you, to take the grave clothes of people that have come alive and teach them once more how to live. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I thought, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. We can teach them how to live. All of us who've walked with the Lord for a while, we've got something to say. We've got something to give. We've got something to share. We've got something to teach. And we've got a God who we know. Who we know. That's why it's so important for every person to be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, that's when your root goes down deep into Him. I'll tell you this because you'll know what I'm talking about. I had the most powerful encounter with God in my entire life. I know I'd, be, I know I'd received the Spirit when I was 11 years old and I'd spoken tongues. But you know what? I never, I never really pushed through in that. 
And uh, in my teenage years, I wasn't walking with God. And um, do you remember 1986? Some of, some of you will. Do you remember when John Wimber came through the north? Do you remember those meetings? And um, I went, there was, I, was, I was really backslidden at the time. And some friends of mine who were on a go team invited me to go to a meeting in Bradford at St. John's Church in Bowling. So it's on the Wakefield Road, big Anglican church there. And that night I went along, a backslidden Christian, not doing too well. And I had the most powerful encounter with God. My goodness, he absolutely blew me away. And I, but that night I knew that I'd met him. And I remember walking out that night and um, I stood outside the church 10, 10.30 in the evening and I just, I just said this. I said, if I ever doubt my God is real, I'm going to remember tonight because I know that I know that I know that I know that I've met the Lord. I know he's real. And I've not always felt him you know, as close as that, but I know he's real. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you encounter God, that is the taproot that holds you into his life. That's the life that you can draw on. And Karen and I have been through times in our life where it's been hard spiritually and we've not been in great churches that have encouraged us. But you know what? Because we know the Lord, we're able to encourage ourselves. We're able to keep on going. We're able to persevere. And I would encourage all of you, pray in tongues. You know, pray in tongues. Spend time with the Lord. You know, really cultivate your relationship with Him. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians says, be being filled with the Spirit. Do you know what happens when you do that? You'll find a joy and a peace in your own life, and you'll find you've got something to share when you come to those moments where somebody needs to meet the Lord. I just want to encourage you in that. Let me just bring this, I'll bring this together. You know, I'm getting hungry, I don't know about you. Um, you know, um, but just in writing these things down. I just want to encourage you, because I know many of you, I know in this church here, you've walked with the Lord a long time, and you've had some disappointments, and you've had some blows along the way, but you're still here. You're still here, and you're still walking with Him. And I just want to remind you today, go for the city. Go for what you've seen. Don't settle for anything less than what you've seen. Keep walking following the Lord, and together build something that looks like what you've seen. Build something that looks like what you've seen together. Get a vision of what God wants. Like us, you've, you've planted yourselves in an area filled with people who don't know the Lord. And this worship that was here this morning, this wonderful worship, and you think, oh, I wish this place was full. People would love this. This is what you do. You take that same spirit. You take that same worship. You take that same life. And you go out there and you be salt and light in the world. And you change those communities. Let me tell you what Karen and I have done. We've walked away from a big church that we're leading. Not walked away, you know, in that sense. You know, we've handed it over and we've moved along. But we want to engage with our community. We've joined a pub quiz team. People that are not Christians. And we go on a Monday night and we love them. And we laugh with them, we don't preach to them, we just go and befriend them. But there's going to come and they know who we are. They know we're believers. They know we're planting a church. When we had our open house a few weeks ago, the pub quiz team came to our open house. We're, making, we're out there in the community. I'm learning to teach English as a foreign language. Why are you laughing, Alan? You're thinking I can't even speak English, aren't you? How dare you? Why? Because most of my neighbours don't speak English. 
How am I going to connect with them if I can't communicate with them? So I'm going to do it. You know, I'm 52, I'm going to get a skill. You know, I can drive fast cars and I can hit people. That's my, that's my old skills, but it's not necessary anymore. But I want to, because I want to be useful to the Lord, I want to communicate with, the, you know, I've even gone back into the police as a chaplain. I got my uniform on Wednesday. A bigger one than I had before, because when I was in the police, that was six stone ago. So they still make them stretchy. So, but I'm going back in. Why? Because I believe that I know that culture. And it is a very distinct culture. I know that community. And if I can get in there, legitimately, as a Christian... To be a Christian, they actually asked me to go and be a professional Christian in amongst the heathen. I've got to connect with the world. And your job is to connect with the world, to take what you've got. You're not Pentecostals. You're not hiding here waiting for Jesus to return in a little back street in a a corner of a city in the north of England. No, you are the planting of the Lord in this place. You're the planting. Do you believe that? You're the planting of the Lord. You're not here by chance. And therefore, God's got a a vision for you. God's got a mission for you. And I don't care how old you are. It says here, Abraham was 75. I think only Alan's maybe sort of, you know, around that sort of age here, you know. But Alan, you're still breathing. I read that, I was reading a... a, Absolutely. Absolutely. I was reading this quote in a book the other day. And he said that, it was like, I can't remember the guy's name, E.W. Matthews. He said this. He said, um, he said, I'd wake up in the morning, he said, and I would read the obituaries in the Times. And if my name didn't come up, I would get out of bed. <laughs> well, you're still breathing. God's still got a plan for you. If you woke up this morning, God's still got a plan for you. Thank you out there in the hall. <laughs> Do you believe that? Do you know what? There's, there's many more stories I could tell you, but I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you in what you're doing. I want to encourage you in your walk with God. Press deeper into Him. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't just settle for, well, this is as good as it gets. Believe God for big things, for He's the God who can do immeasurably, abundantly, more than you can ask or think. Believe big things for God. This church was once a big church gone through, you could call it pruning, you could call it whatever you like. But here's the thing, you're still living. You're still staked in the ground, you're still staked into him, and therefore there's life here. And there is life here. When I walk into the room, I'm saying, is there life here? And I can assure you, as a visitor, there's life in this room. Okay? The spirit is here, there's life here. And if there's life, there will be growth. There will be growth. That's inevitable. If there's life, there's growth. So trust God. Ask Him for His direction, His leading. Look for opportunities. We've just looked for any way we can connect with the world. Any way we can connect. And people are not projects. Make friendships with the world. You know, I mean, I don't know how many meetings you've gotten in a week, but if you're in so many meetings in a week where you can't connect with the world, then you need to look at your calendar and free yourselves up. And go and connect with the world. You're not going to get them, get them saved if you don't meet them. Right. I'm so glad I'm not leading a church anymore. Because I've missed non-Christians. When you're the pastor of the church, you just spend all your time with these Christians. <laughs> but I've missed non-Christians. Because you know what? I used to lead people to Jesus. I did. 
used to meet non-Christians all the time. I'm so enjoying meeting non-Christians. The only problem I've got at the moment is at the pub quiz, because they know I'm a Christian, if there's any Bible questions, there's a huge pressure. Because <laughs> the quiz master knows I'm a Christian as well. So a Bible quiz comes up and he'll say, I'll put this one in for you, you know. You know the other week, they had, one of the questions was, how many people were on the ark? <laughs> well, don't you know that? Well, I do know that, but even I was thinking, the pressure, if I get this wrong, they'll think I'm a fraud. <laughs> it's eight, by the way. What do you teach people in this church? Anyway. <laughs> but shall we pray together? Shall we pray together? I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're leaving happier than when you came in. hope you enjoy your lunch this afternoon. But Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Freedom Church. I want to thank you for this group of people. Lord, I want to thank you for faithful people who have walked with you for many, many years. And I pray for every single person here, for those of us that have seen a vision, for those of us that have seen that city, for those of us that have seen that glorious church, Lord, that we will continue to move towards that vision. We'll continue to move towards it. We'll continue to build and shape according to that thing you've put within our heart, Lord. That we will see ourselves as that city on a hill. We'll see ourselves, Lord, as that mountain of your presence, Lord. We'll see ourselves, Lord, as the people that you've put in this area for such a time as this. And I pray, Lord, that this church would be a beacon of light. I pray, Lord, that this church would send out rays out into every street and every community and that people would begin to come to know you. Lord, that this area be transformed. We thank you, Lord, that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And Lord, that we don't have to be frightened or intimidated by anything that's out there, for you go with us, you go before us. And I pray, Lord, in this area that we'll find homes of peace and people of peace and community leaders. I pray, Lord, for miracles on the streets and lives transformed. And I pray, Lord, that Freedom Church will become known in the city, Lord, as a place where you dwell. Lord, it will become known in the city as a place of miracle and transformation, where lives are turned around, where families are restored, where people are given new hope, new vision, and new direction. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.